This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 7th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. It may be cold comfort, but the silver lining of the horrifying election now before American voters may well be a reevaluation of the dramatic expansion of executive power. Gene Healy, Vice President of the Cato Institute, comments. Try to sell me on the upside of a white-knuckle election in which uh, representatives of both candidates and voters more broadly than usual feel that their candidate losing is just an would be just an absolute disaster for America. Well, as the as the race has tightened up over the last two months, there's been a, a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth and rending of garments over the the prospect, uh, particularly of uh, Donald Trump, celebrity billionaire, uh, getting within striking distance of the presidency. And while white-knuckling it through uh, another day or so of this prospect may not be pleasant for uh, at least half the electorate, uh, maybe something good can come out of it. Maybe something good can come out of uh, another few hours of imagine President Trump. And what I would like to see happen is, uh, you know, in the old phrase that the prospect of a hanging concentrates the mind wonderfully, I'd like to see a little more thinking about uh, how much power we've concentrated in the Oval Office. Because, as I say in the piece, if uh, somebody so manifestly unfit, so transparently likely to abuse power can get that close, then just maybe it was a bad idea to concentrate so much power in the office of the presidency in the first place, and just maybe we should do something about that. Uh, Connor Friedersdorf at The Atlantic makes that point as well, made that point earlier uh, in the summer, saying maybe it is time to uh, de-tyrannize the White House. Yeah, to tyrant-proof the presidency. Rather than simply vote against which of the uh, the two major party candidates one perceives to be the lesser of two potential tyrants, uh, what you've seen over the the last month or two is, is interesting. Uh, some of the uh, papers of record uh, in the United States, like the New York Times and the Washington Post, are waking up to the fairly obvious point that uh, you you if you concentrate this much power in the executive branch, you're really uh, making this the presidency, the presidential race, a, a pretty high-stakes affair. Uh, for instance, uh, last month, the Washington Post editorial board ran a week's worth of editorials uh, screaming bloody murder about uh, the clear and present danger of Donald Trump. And they, they said that uh, the, the presidency has become uh, a real source of unchecked power that President Trump could, among other things, launch wars, take the oil, assassinate foreigners who opposed him, uh, issue secret le- legal opinions reinstituting torture, uh, start new surveillance programs, pull out a NAFTA, and wreck the world economy. And it's a, a big crescendo of horrible things that could, that could happen uh, leading up to a pretty lame conclusion, which is simply, don't vote for Donald Trump. And the readers left to wonder, well, okay then, uh, problem solved? Or 
is there something more that should be done, uh, you know, other than, uh, you know, assuming uh, that uh, Trump doesn't end up on top to uh, turn around and simply say, uh, having skated so close to the edge of the cliff, uh, oh, that was a close one. Uh, all right, on with uh, President Clinton. Uh, I think Friedersdorf is right. Uh, there's uh, particularly over the last two presidencies in the Bush-Obama years, uh, what was already the most powerful office in the world became strikingly more powerful. You had two presidents in a row stretch the authorization for the use of military force that Congress passed after September 11th into a blank check for a globe-spanning war for as long as any particular president wants against whichever jihadist groups he perceives to be a threat. You had uh, Bush implement and Obama continue a host of uh, secret dragnet surveillance programs, only some of which have been fully revealed uh, at this moment. And you even had uh, in recent years uh, President Obama inventing what uh, you might call a presidential power of the purse, where he has been spending at least $7 billion that Congress never appropriated on uh, insurance subsidies under Obamacare. And you're seeing, uh, you know, some center-left commentators point out, well, gosh, it seems that uh, these powers, uh, however much we may like President Obama, these, these, some of these writers say, President Trump could really do a lot of damage with that. And it's a strikingly basic insight, but it seems to be something that uh, is beyond the comprehension of most political elites in this country. And what would be nice is that uh, this period of the two most widely reviled and distrusted candidates in the history of, of polling, that it focuses our attention on the sort of damage that can be done by a, an, un, an unethical and lawless president, since we're fairly likely, no matter what happens uh, on Tuesday, to be facing a president of that variety. Uh, uh, however horrific people find Trump, it's important to recognize that uh, something like 62 percent of Americans uh, distrust Hillary Clinton. She's the second most uh, reviled and distrusted candidate, major party candidate in the history of polling. Uh, and uh, there are good reasons to worry about what Hillary Clinton will do uh, with the radically enhanced presidency that uh, President Obama is going to pay forward to his successor uh, come 2017. Uh, Hillary Clinton has... Uh, you know, supported seven out of our last five disastrous foreign wars. Uh, she's a penchant for as much secrecy as she can get away with. And she's someone that even her own supporters have uh, used the word Nixonian uh, to describe her. And some, some actually see this as a benefit, that she is uh, more concerned with uh, getting things done than with, uh, with following the rules and appearing ethical. To the extent commentators, at the very least, are uh, waking up to the potential problems of a Trump presidency, somebody who uh, at least has presented himself as someone who exists with outside of the normal strictures of, of uh, being 
president, um, it's gallingly partisan. Like we, we've dodged a bullet if 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 Trump is not elected to say nothing of giving the those identical sets of powers to uh, Hillary Clinton, and and there seems to be essentially no appetite in Congress to begin the process of rolling some of that back. Yeah, the notion seems to be we've dodged a bullet, so let's keep playing with a loaded gun. Uh, Obama actually uh, has used that phrase privately, apparently. Newsweek has reported that uh, he has sometimes been heard in conversations with his advisors to worry about, quote, leaving a loaded weapon lying around in the form of enhanced executive powers for his his future successors to take advantage of. Uh, but yeah, when you dodge a bullet, uh, maybe it should prompt some rethinking. Uh, in Congress, uh, if Hillary Clinton uh, is elected, uh, there, there's plenty of partis- partisan incentives and uh, uh, you know, congressional incentives are, are, are aligned to resist some of her uh, encroachments on, on Congress's prerogatives. The Republicans will have uh, ample incentive to uh, do the right thing for perhaps not the, the, the cleanest of reasons. What you'd like to see, since uh, the presidential powers forged in one administration reliably pass on to future presidents, of whichever party, you would like to see uh, some awareness of an action on uh, de-imperializing the presidency from folks on the center and the, and the left as well, because uh, when you do, uh, you know, when you play with a loaded weapon, uh, the the you may like the uh, particular president that's in office now, but. That president's not going to be the last person who has access to that weapon. And even uh, when I spoke with uh, Mike Lee, senator from Utah, recently, he has this Article One project that he is uh, sort of co-leading. But even there, war powers are not really anywhere to be found as a point of discussion. Their focus is almost entirely on uh, regulation uh, and making sure that Congress is doing its traditional historic role of being in charge of regulatory apparatus. Sure. And domestic uh, presidential powers, uh, an area where Obama has made uh, quite a few innovations, they're important too. Um, but the, the, the power to, uh, to launch war at any time that uh, has become uh, the new normal for presidents in the post-9-11 era is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, the uh, transformation of the AUMF into a wholesale delegation of congressional war powers is something that uh, is going to, as Madison said, you know, na- you know, no nation can survive as a free country in the midst of continual warfare. Well, we've basically instituted a regime to test that proposition, and. Uh, a lot of us would prefer not to run that experiment. That's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Uh, as far as what the congressional response will be, uh, you know, you 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 have to worry. Uh, Paul Ryan was asked uh, this summer what would he do if uh, President Trump or President Clinton 
w- tried to govern without Congress, and he, his response was, well, I'd sue any president who'd do that, which must really keep them up at nights. Uh, Congress doesn't need to sue the president to reclaim its powers. Congress, on paper at least, has all the powers it needs to begin relimiting the presidency. And uh, to the extent that that has happened uh, in, in, in living memory, uh, it happened in the post-Watergate era. Uh, after the uh, uh, Nixon's resignation, you had a, a host of uh, uh, reform congresses and some important pieces of legislation that were passed in that post-Watergate period, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, Privacy Act, the War Powers Resolution, Strengthening of the Freedom of Information Act. And many of these things did not work out over the long haul. They were undermined by subsequent presidents. But you did have a period of congressional resurgence that, uh, for a time at least, did rein in the most lawless and abusive acts of uh, late 20th century presidents. And for that to happen, it took two of, uh, you know, two honestly repulsive and abusive power-hungry presidents, uh, uh, LBJ and uh, Richard Nixon. And that seemed to concentrate the public mind. Uh, If anything good can come out of this hellscape of the 2016 election, maybe it's that we've got uh, two of the most widely reviled, loathed, and feared major party candidates in modern memory. And that, you know, one hopes will will help uh, focus the public mind and focus political elites on the dangers of making the president a government unto him or herself. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.